Hello everyone uh, in digital land. Thank you so much again for listening to another episode of The Right Way. This is episode three thus far of 2020 and will also mark the final episode of 2020. So uh, let me just take this cheeky opportunity to thank you very much for listening to me and uh, supporting me in this endeavor, which is still very much in its infancy. Today, we are going to be welcoming a Sydney-based kind of uh, man of many hats when it comes to the creativity world. He's a writer, a filmmaker, a poet, uh, all that and much more, Anthony J. Langford. Today, we are going to be discussing one of his latest works and his latest novel, Lone Wolf World. So, if you could all do what I know that you're always doing at home, which is giving me a big digital round of applause, and welcome Anthony J. Langford discussing Lone Wolf World. Anthony, thank you so much. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? Thank you, Sam. Yeah, very well, mate. Thank you so much for having me on board. Happy to happy to have you, man. Happy to have you. I've got a lot of questions for you. So let's start off with an oldie but a goodie. Uh, where did yes. the idea for uh, Lone Wolf World originate from? Um, okay, so originally it was called uh, The Outcast. Hmm. Um, I actually found the, the book the other day. Um, I handwrite everything, so it was handwritten in a book. And originally it was just called The Outcast. Hmm. And um, I didn't really know where it was going to go, but I sort of wanted to make a story about a guy who's on the fringes of society. Um, not physically, he's actually right in the city, but in terms of maybe thinking that he just doesn't quite fit in. Um, and then I, I think what I was actually interested in was the idea of narcissism because um, th- just by observing social media and these sorts of outlets um it it was meant to be an exploration of narcissism so i wanted to create a character that was pretty narcissistic Mm. and i think you agree that he is but it kind of ended up going into a little bit of um terrorism and all those other things as well so yeah uh, initially it was called i narcissist and um it was going to be a three-part book and um the outcast was going to be the first part and then I think Vlog Girl was going to be part two, and another part was going to be called The Perv. Um, and I wanted to explore different forms of narcissism. But um, the, the outcast, see, it was initially anyway, was the best of the three. So I decided to, once I'd finished it, I, I think it was about 100 pages initially. And then I knew what the story, I knew where it had gone, and um, I could expand on it. And I went back and started rewriting. Okay, that's interesting. So it was originally it was uh, initially supposed to be something like a, a three-part or, or three different characters' perspectives. Is that right? What kind of brought it in to the fore, this this main narrator that, uh, that features in Lone Wolf World? What made you make that decision? Um, I Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I had written the others as well, so the whole thing was finished. Hmm. Um, but I just thought the outcast was was stronger than the other two um and and he was such an interesting character like i didn't know when i started where he was going to take me Mm. um and as i said there's a touches on terrorism but i mean it's not about it's not a it's not a novel about terrorism um Mm. as you know it's um it's more about narcissism and this idea of being an outcast and um being in the middle of the city but also um being a part of it uh, but it also fits in with the idea of um, being 
isolated. Uh, I think that's very much a 2020 theme as well. That was just mm. a coincidence that it came out this year. But this whole idea of being being in the city but, but quite lonely and cut off and being bitter. I mean, he's a very bitter character. Mm. Mm. Um and so, yeah, I thought it was um, I thought it was well written and it was interesting, and I just I decided to go back and expand it into a novel rather than um, as a as a one in three part book or even a standalone novella. So uh, yeah, it expanded it from there. It is interesting that it, it comes out now, and uh, given the what's happened with COVID nineteen and this lockdown, that it's become kind of more poignant than ever. This this kind of pervasive uh, theme of isolation. Uh, in which in which we feel, I guess. Yeah, it, it, I think it definitely taps into that whole whole, uh, whole feeling of being isolated um, and yet surrounded by people. I think I think right now I don't think we've sort of been. I mean, you hear a lot of people complaining about being lonely, you know, mm. um, probably more so than ever. Um, and even though we're living in mostly in crowded cities, so people are kind of cut off from each other in a way. And it's quite ironic that um, we have all this social media where we're all connected and yet people are still become isolated. Um, and, yeah, certainly certainly he doesn't feel like he fits in anywhere, you know. I mean, he, he's, uh, he kind of hates everybody equally, I think. I think he's that as a tagline somewhere. Um, he's got strong opinions about a lot of things, as, you, as you've read. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But, but, again, he just... I mean, some of the themes are quite universal, um, so I think people can relate to that idea of not fitting in. Uh, the world doesn't understand me, no one understands me. So it ties in with all that sort of thing. It is definitely a, a common theme that I've seen a lot. It, it, it did remind me of it, particularly given the, this notion of being isolated within a city, kind of like a densely populated city, and being uh, seemingly at face value being more connected than ever with social media and yet kind of being more isolated than never before in this sort of abject way. Uh, kind of reminded me a little bit of, I'm not sure if you've read it yet, but Flanagan's latest book, The Living Sea of Waking Dreams, that kind of was also uh, something that he explored in that, this notion about everyone being glued to their phones and kind of moving along or shuffling along through life and never really seeing or connecting with anyone. Sure, yeah. I'm, look, I'm not surprised that other people are writing about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, that didn't. I mean that that is part of that is part of the story, I guess. Um, he does talk about he does talk about the internet um, and social media. I think I I got a little uh, passage actually here I, I picked out, um, and I want to read about it because mm. um, I'm just going to read it out to you. Go not, right. please. So, just a few, just a few lines. Absolutely. And he and he writes here. This is roughly in the middle of the book. We've seen the world degenerate to superficial highs in our lifetime, from the first me generation, the baby boomers, to the millennials, teetering on the edge of an actual cliff edge for fleeting photo fame. Soon they'll be trading in their babies for streaming reality stardom. Wouldn't want to miss out on a flock-inducing trend. So, yeah, I think that's. Um, I mean, it's, it's ironic that he, he's quite... An, I mean, he is a narcissist, there's no doubt about it, but mm. um, he's observing the narcissism that's that's all around him. Uh, for people, as as we've seen, you know, people risking their lives to get a selfie. You know, Absolutely. it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but look, he, he is a narcissist. Uh, the book, I think I mentioned before that the book was going to be called I, Narcissist. Yeah. Originally, and um, I wanted to... I definitely wanted to explore that narcissism 
as a metaphor for what I've seen and what we all see now, um, particularly in the social media realm. Let's talk about this character's voice because, I mean, undoubtedly a narcissist, among many other things, but innately complicated as well, so not just someone that you can summarily put into a box. How did you go about getting into this character's voice? Because obviously I assume um, they were, his voice was talking to you. So how was it to uh, sink into that uh, pretty bleak, misanthropic outlook on life and sustain the voice? And then, I don't know, pull yourself out of an evening kind of thing. Yes, well, um, that's that's interesting. Yeah, he's, he's definitely uh, a strong character. And um, I think from the very first line, he's, 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 um, he was sort of speaking to me or um, inhabiting my mind or I was inhabiting his, I'm not sure. You know, I think mm. once you get into it, to the writing process the character just takes over and the character leads you the entire way absolutely um and i think that's when you're onto a good thing a sign that you're onto a good thing is when the character's just leading you along and you're the one you're just following along um so yeah he he was definitely sort of inside my head um and because he was such because he's quite arrogant um he was quite freeing to write because you can just kind of run with it and you can kind of have a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, he says things that we probably all like to say to, to people who annoy us, you know, especially mm. out in public or somewhere. Um, but he, he just he just says it. I mean, we, we might think it, but we wouldn't dare say it, but he says it. So yeah, That was fun. That was a lot of fun to write, i got to say. It would be fun. I mean, like, there was always this borderline uh, feeling that I had that it was it was darkly humorous uh throughout i don't know i don't know what that says about me but i did i did find it darkly humorous throughout yeah. it reminded it's me definitely... sorry you go oh yeah there's definitely humor in there i mean mm. you can't write a character who's that sort of arrogant and narcissistic um without him being likable i mean if you make him too too um hard for the audience to relate to or the readers to relate to they're going to hate him and they're not going to want to read it so yeah, you have to make him likable and you have to make the whole reading experience kind of fun as well because, you know, it's quite dark subject matter along the way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, you could almost call it a satire. The whole book could almost be called a satire. It is uh, inherently difficult uh, to do that. And there's only been a few sort of novels and films over the years, like I was, you know, American Psycho, Lolita, Humble Humbert's Lolita... Uh, I was actually thinking quite a lot of Gus Bernou's, uh original film, I Stand Alone. Oh, right. Have you, have I haven't you... seen that one. I saw you should. Irreversible. I saw Irreversible. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. watch, what I thoroughly recommend that you watch I Stand Alone then because yes, it was definitely reminding me of that. It was just this like unrelentingly paced rantings of a madman that just kind of you're immersed in and it's endeared to you. Like it's just something that you kind of like can't get away from like come what may i mean it's just you know obviously as it continues to to worsen and they you know their grasp on sanity continues to lessen but you still want to stay immersed you still want to see it follow it through so like that's what you've managed to do and sustain it yes well yeah i yeah the humor the humor definitely would help along the way Mm. um but i wanted him to be human as well i didn't want him to be this sort of cartoon character um you mentioned american psycho Mm. That's kind of a good example, um, but American Psycho—it's it, a little bit cartoonish in in the in the uh, 
the way that the black humor kind of mm. works. But for this guy, I wanted to embed him, and it's not until later on in the book you find out what, why he is a bit like that, or you know, yeah. a lot of the things that's led to him to the to this state. Um, so he had to be. You know, look, it's a difficult line. Looking back, I can see you know it's a difficult line to tread because he's in one breath he's extreme, but he's you also have to make him human. You know, look, I, I wanted to make a character, and I'm interested in writing about people who or characters who act in very human ways that it's got to be truthful. It's got to have that element of the universal truth or, or it's just fantasy, you know? I can definitely see that you've done that, like taking the time to just make, go go above and beyond ensuring he's not going to be deemed just written off as some sort of cliche or archetypal character that just, yeah, would, would immediately um, audiences wouldn't engage with or resonate with on any sort of level. So no, no, you've definitely done that in terms of establishing the backstory in the latter half of the novel. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be a little bit difficult going for a part, but um, I think if you stick with it, it sort of um, it, it all kind of comes together, and um, yeah, you can definitely see why he is the way he is. Interestingly, I've, um, I mean, with such a strong character, um, it's going to rub people, some people the wrong way. Mm. Um, and I've actually had a couple of people level this at me that um, that I'm the character that you know that somehow because I've written of this character, that's how I think, you know, that's mm. all my views. Um, and, and any writer will know that that's not the case, mm. you know. Um, J.K. Rowling isn't uh, Hermione or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I did. I, I didn't think that. I never thought that. Um, no. No. Some people, but anyway, a couple of people have, and, and they kind of level it at me that, that uh, this must be the way I think. Well, no, no, this is the character. Mm. Uh, no, I didn't pick that. Um, I didn't pick that. I, yeah. I don't think that'll hold too much water. But I mean, like that's that's unfortunately, I guess that's uh, what you not so much sign up for, but that's kind of what uh, you, you can be subjected to, I guess, when you write anything, anything at all, particularly in these sort of times. It's just it's it's yeah. There's there's always oh, well, yeah, back. and I think people like to analyze. You know, like to you know they try to they try to find that line between uh, author or creator and and the art. You know. Yeah. Um, and I think they like it when, you know, it's based on something that actually happened or, you know, it's part of the author's just really telling yeah. his own life story. And, um, okay, well, certainly part of it, certainly part of it is, um, you know, you do rely on your own experiences and what you've observed and maybe some of your own thoughts, but um, you're okay. definitely, definitely not all of it. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. It's I think it's just... Yeah, a lot of it harkens back to really demystifying something that's kind of pretty, uh, a lot of the time, ineffable and difficult to put into words, I guess. I guess. That's just me hazarding a guess there. But anyway, let's talk. So we've talked about character's voice. Let's talk about sense of place because I got a very strong sense of place throughout the place that the narrator went to, be it the more inner city areas out into the further out and the shopping centers there and everything in between too, including the end of the more sort of rural area that he found end up in you i'm pretty sure and i was looking out for it i didn't see any names of any suburbs anything or the city or anything like that mentioned is, is that correct um, yeah that's right yeah, yeah okay right. sorry um yeah i didn't want to i didn't want to particularly i think Maybe the word Sydney is used in the beginning. I think maybe in the prologue. Or 
Really? Because yeah, I was I was looking out because I started to notice it, and I, I I don't I don't remember ever seeing it like one time. Like me as a lifelong resident, I you know I I guess I just envisioned it from the, from the get go. But I was then I started noticing it. And I was really keeping a lookout for it, and I just I never saw these places are similar. Like I've been there, I've been around to. It reminds me of these places that I've you know been to, but it just I just never saw a name, and I thought oh, okay, so there was obviously a deliberate choice to do that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't particularly want to name suburbs or particular mm. locations, um, and that way, whoever's reading it can identify from wherever they're reading it from. Yeah. Um, but we can all relate to this notion of the inner city and you know the suburbs and you know the outside the city in the rural areas. So yeah, I didn't particularly want to draw attention to any particular place. It could be anywhere. I think that was the idea that. Also, that he he's roaming around, you know, he's this sort of guy, and this is the thing with the the lone wolves too. Uh, they could be literally anywhere. You wouldn't know. I mean, um, ironically, actually, that we're talking about this today. Uh, this week, uh, there was a young guy arrested in Albury for um, plotting a terrorist act. Uh, so you know, these these people uh, they're out there, and they could yeah. be anywhere. You know. Yeah, I don't know what um, you're so, talking no, about. Sorry, finish what you I didn't want to embed. I didn't want to embed it in any particular city, but yeah, I was thinking of Sydney, but I didn't. I didn't think of any particular suburb. Yeah, I I felt like it was it was less about. Um, I mean, obviously there was care and not wanting to malign a suburb or an area in particular. I do get that, but I was getting yes. the vibes. I was getting more was that it was done in an effort to yeah keep it. Uh, at least well realized as a place that someone could envision, but sort of a generic so that yes, it could apply to any sort of reader from dwelling wherever in the world, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Um, we, we can all identify with, you know, particular um, socioeconomic areas. Hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, once you put it, once you put it into a city, then it's, it's only sort of as relevant for the people who are familiar with those places. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if I was reading it from Adelaide, you know, I'd like to know that, uh, like, it would just be confusing to me. It wouldn't mean anything, the name. So, I'd, yeah, I kind of avoided the names. Um, and, like, the character, too, he doesn't, he's nameless. He doesn't yeah. want to ever go with human name either. No, you, yeah, yeah, that was that was another thing that I, that I picked up on as well. It makes perfect sense, I mean, like, because it's supposed to be this sort of per- pervasive um, figure that's, that's around everywhere. Um, I want to then dovetail into kind of a similar sort of question so because we've kept it or you've kept it um deliberately nameless the city the suburbs this person does it make this story uh singularly or specifically australian or do you think that it's it's given the subject matter and the type of person it's something that kind of transcends all that and it's it's it can apply to anywhere in the world yes that's right yeah good question um yeah, I think it, I think it could be anywhere. I mean, there are some some terminologies that are uh, obviously Australian. Um, I think uh, he refers to some bogans at some point and says mm. a few things. But um, yeah, I wanted it to be kind of generic in that way that it it could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. Mm. But yeah, it's part. It, it's I mean, he goes on a he goes on a journey as do you know every character in a book or a film. But he also goes on a um, physical journey as well so it's actually i think i think i might have been inspired a little bit by ulysses uh the james joyce novel in that regard 
that it's a physical journey as well as a mental one. Mm. Um, you know, he starts off in one location and he kind of moves around and moves further and further out and further out of his um, realm of experience or his comfort zone. Mm. Um, so I think, and I think without wanting to give anything away, where he ends up is is quite interesting compared to, you know, the journey that went before. Absolutely. Uh, so it's def- definitely a physical journey as well as a as well as a uh, metaphysical one, I guess. Absolutely. Let's 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 talk a little bit about that for a sec because I'm actually going to jump ahead to another question I had. Um, I feel like throughout the narrator's uh, interaction with society, I think at least he starts off somewhat from a perspective where he kind of essentially. Uh, determines or allows society to dictate what will then happen. So the thing I'm talking about is kind of when he goes to the shopping center for the first time wearing the skirt, yes. he wants to see how society will react, how the masses will react, ind- individuals yes. that aggregate into a society. And I was wondering how much is it this, how much is, is society and masses like this responsible in shaping individuals like this? Is this, is, is, is it something where, you know, it's just a case of someone slipping through the cracks. Is it something that society that can go about the betterment of to ensure that, you know, these sort of situations don't happen? How much is, what's in that dynamic? How much is it society's fault for the way in which they treat someone, the way in which someone responds to it that kind of can lead to pretty homicidal and or horrific things thereafter? Yes, that's a, well, that's a good question, Sam. Um, and I'm not sure I have the right answers really, but, mm. um, I think there's definitely that feeling in it, and you often hear from these extreme characters who do carry out things um, uh, that you know there's something wrong with society or something poison about it, mm. and and there's them and then there's me, you know, or there's them and us sort mm. of attitude, um, and and that you're not and that you don't belong and that you're not part of that world and and they've overlooked you and um, that can get people quite bitter. Mm. Um, and then, and then, uh, I mean, he takes it that step further and decides to sort of teach the world a lesson, as it were. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but again, we, I think, you know, a lot of people do feel that way sometimes, especially when you're young. You can feel like nobody really understands you. Um, so does it shape the individual or is it the other way around? You know, I mean, I mean, that's the question again mm. of... Um, how much we recognise other people as individuals. I mean, we we walk past people in a crowd and we look at them and we make an instantaneous judgment. Absolutely. Based on one second, we you know, and then we move on. But we don't really think that there's a whole human being in there with a with a full history and no. a full full range of emotions like us. They're not really like us. So, yeah, I think it's just a human nature aspect that. Um, and that some people just can't see others as fully functional or fully rounded human beings. Mm. Um, and and there's a danger there. I think these people, as you said, they can fall through the cracks if um, you know if they're suffering from depression or you know they're into drugs and alcohol and you know they can feel cut off from society. And um, and yeah, and especially as we said at the beginning, that um, it's it's sort of very much a current theme is um, this idea that uh, of loneliness and isolation. It sort of comes back to that. And I think it's a growing thing, and I think it's a worldwide thing. It is. And, um, and it's, 
and it's um it's it's really sad actually it's sad but it's um it's something i think we need to talk about and, and try and work on and hopefully bridge some of those gaps yeah and i think that I mean, it's a very, very difficult question. I'm glad that you think it was a good question. I think it's a very difficult question to, to kind of answer, and there's no real, obviously, definitively correct answer. It's just, it's just this, this such a broad problem that I, I don't really know if there's any sort of um, solution that can ever be devised, um, bar essentially from, yeah, I, I think that all that society can perhaps do is, yeah, don't, don't uh, have an immediate summation of one's character from, from brief interaction and, and, I guess, ask questions and offer more services and help and counselling. I, I, I guess that's the only thing I could possibly think of because... Well, well, I think too with, I think too with, this social, me- with the social media, I think it's really dictating a lot of society's beliefs and hmm. actions uh, because social media isn't real. It's not... And the internet isn't real. And, and even the media itself isn't real. And yet it shapes, it shapes our view of the world. Mm. I mean, you can get on social media and, and if you don't agree with someone, you just delete them, you block them. Mm. And, and after a time, you're not, you're not getting a fully rounded view of the world. You're just getting an echo chamber of Absolutely. people who all agree with you and, um, and people who don't want to have an argument so they'll agree with whatever, you know. So you've kind of got this social media view of the world which is, which is shaped by your own thoughts and beliefs. Um, and same with the media that we select to watch or follow. Mm. Um, you know, they might have a political slant or something like that. And and we not get we we've kind of we're kind of lost in this in this digital world, and it's and it's not really reflecting the full range of of uh, people or society, as it were. And I think we're feeling. You know, you see these little terrorists uh, popping up here and there. You know, I mean, they're the extreme example. But I think mm. a lot of people are feeling this way, and then you can kind of, you can get angry at the world. You know, because you, you just kind of, and you know, and same with uh, like any, any sort of thing to do with the internet. Once you start clicking on certain things or speaking to certain people, you you refed this same stuff over and over. Yeah. And you, and you not get and all the other people who you might be your friends on Facebook, for example. You don't even see them anymore. They don't even pop up. Mm. So I think there's this danger that we're all walking around in these tiny little bubbles and we're not really interacting with each other and we could have this false impression of the world. So I think this sort of lone wolf mentality, I think it's a growing thing. It's incredibly pernicious in terms of if, if it's allowed to fester like that. I think you're yeah, right. And I think that social media certainly... Uh, it's, I mean, like the internet, it is a, it is a tool to be wielded however the user wants to, to wield it, I guess it's kind of infinite possibilities, yeah? So for it can be for a source of good and, you know, you can um, it's provide untold amount of support to, to those that need it. And it can also, unfortunately, um, be used for the complete, like, diametrically opposed side of things instead of uh, seeking out kind of uh, light and sunshine. It can be uh, offer this sort of forum for... Uh, people that might otherwise uh, not realise their full sort of uh, potential and ultimately kind of go on to do some pretty heinous acts, meet with like-minded yes. types. It's just, it's, it's just, you know, and how, how can you possibly go about... I don't think from an internet perspective you can possibly amend that and change that. Not now. It's The, the glass yeah. is broken. I think all you can do is possibly change the mentality of the individual themselves to, to prevent them from feeling that they need to go and seek out people i guess i, I don't know it's a, t- it's a truly tough one it's impossible it's, to answer it's definitely it's definitely a tough one um 
but you know quite often too people are disappearing into their bedrooms and into these bubbles and and others even their family have no idea what's yeah. going on underneath their roof you know um yeah it's i mean i guess it's like anything as soon as there are people involved there's the potential for good and potential for bad and the potential for corruption and all sorts of things absolutely but, um, any system is going to be flawed and and you know but I just think social media in itself, I think it's a lot of dangers involved in social media. And I don't think, I don't think we've really um, stepped back on enough or worked out how to do it because it suits a lot of people. You know, companies use it to advertise mm. and governments use it to advertise. So they want people switched in and engaged. I mean, that's what they want. Mm. So, uh, yeah, look, it's a tough one. It's an interesting one. It is a tough one. It is a tough one. It's impossible to answer. We could spend all day delving yeah, into exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Look, let's 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 go back to to your sort of writing style. Because um, one one question I wanted to know, and I really liked this, and there was a very uh, interesting balance that the Lone Wolf World was kind of uh, comprised of. There was the long rants, as you would expect. And then there was these sections of very short, punchy sentences um, aggregating into very small paragraphs that, you know, and I wondered if that was you balancing your writer self and your poet self, because I know that you're, you're, you're quite an accomplished and prolific poet as well. So I was wondering if that was kind of like you feeding both sides of the writerly brain there or what, or if you didn't even notice that you were doing that. I, I don't know. What, what are you saying, Anthony? Um... So when you say short, are you talking about his actual dialogue, or not just the dialogue? I mean, there's 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 there's, there's periods that break up. I mean, there's action which makes sense to have it quite quick and, and punchy, but there is moments throughout. I mean, throughout the you know couple hundred page novel that it's it, it alternates. Um, sometimes if in a page, it'll go from one kind of like long ranted paragraph, and then it'll go into these short kind of punchy moments. And I wonder yeah. if that was you balancing like this this poet side of you and then the writerly side of you or if it wasn't even something that you doesn't have to have been something that you can drive to or it was just subconscious it might have it might have been subconscious um hmm. i'm just sort of flicking through it now to try and find find an example but um yeah i mean often he's in he's stuck in his own head so he's talking to himself quite a lot hmm. um and then his actual communication with people real people uh, is quite limited in some ways um, but as for the poetry stuff you're not sure yeah I, I mean I guess if you're you're writing you just use whatever is you know whatever comes to mind whatever your arsenal is hmm. um, it certainly wasn't a conscious thing right because you, you you mentioned that um, you had plans for there was going to be three characters and then you kind of wanted to, or you wrote and then you wrote them and then you wanted to focus on, on um, this particular character so was that something that, like, you're not a, you're, you're a pantser, yeah, Anthony? Like, you don't plan, like, you let the characters speak to you and yeah. then you, the story comes from, from that. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So all I knew um, was, you know, from this handwritten um, book that I've got was that I had given it a title. I called it The Outcast. Hmm. And then I and then hit the first paragraph, um, which is still in the book, but it's not the first, first paragraph now. I think it's about five or six pages down, but um, his analysis of people being, I think he said something about little piggies or something like that. Um, so he was, that that mentality was there from the very beginning. Mm. Um, but as far as uh, different styles of writing, I, yeah, I wasn't conscious, mate. It was just, 
way it sort of eventuated the way it came out. Yeah, cool, man. Um, I mean, he, he, led me on the, he led me on the journey, you know. I was just sort of along for the ride, you know. <laughs> I'm totally with you on that. I like when that does happen, um, even if it yeah. gets a little bit out of control because then you're like, oh, God, like trying to wrest control. But it just, yeah, True. it happens as this beautiful kind of symbiotic type relationship and then you just, I guess you just follow it out until it's crazy, unpredictable um, end. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it doesn't always happen that way, but um, he, he certainly he certainly jumped out and um, we kind of went on this on this ride together. Mm. Uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely quite unique. Uh, I actually had someone the other day, she's a she's an online friend from America and she said I should write a prequel to the Lone Wolf World. She I wants to know more about that. the characters. I saw the comments. She wants to know Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I did. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, so she's quite enthralled with the character. She, she wants to know more, but uh, I think I gave him enough backstory. I don't I don't know if I'll... I don't think I'll revisit that, but it was an interesting comment anyway. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting hearing what other people, other people have to say about your it's work. It's great. It's great to hear back, yeah, because you often don't, you know. What about your writing process, Anthony? I mean, like, you've been doing writing for a, for a while now. How did you... Was it standard fare for the way in which you wrote this book or was it something different that you haven't done before? How did it kind um, of go about? Yeah, no, it was... Um, I'd written other novels that aren't published yet. Hmm. Um, I, might, I might release those later on. So it wasn't the first novel that I'd written, but I pretty much have a process... So um, I would just literally just um, sit down with a, with a, a book because I like to handwrite. Mm. I think there's something natural and organic between the pen and the paper. Um, I, don't, I don't type up, I don't write anything on, on the keyboard or on the laptop. Mm. Um, and I think it just gives you, it gives you that time to think a little bit more about what you're going to write. And, and it's kind of embedded on paper too. You can't go back and erase it and just go, oh, that's shit and, and undo it. Mm. So um, I think it forces you to think a bit more. So anyway, I just uh, my process is just to sit down and just handwrite and um, and hope that uh, the voice starts to speak to me because, you know, there are some times you sit down and it's just not, not coming, you know. But um, nine times out of ten, the character just kind of take over and I'll just uh, write for you know two or three hours and then it'll be it for the day you know um, and then later on I would I would start to type it up because you don't want to be end up with a full novel to type up at the end mm. so I kind of at the same time or in the same day I would start typing it up so that at least it's in a digital form and when I redraft I would um, I would use the digital copy to, to redraft because it's a lot easier obviously and has the, the process changed all that much or it's kind of like tried and true now that you don't kind of like mess with something that's not broken type situation? Yeah. Um, I Yeah, even poetry, I, I, which is only short, you know, I mm. still handwrite that. Um, yeah, I just find handwriting, I don't know, I just sort of I sit down on a couch and then um, and start writing. So, yeah, that's pretty much the way I've always done it, really. Mm. What about... Uh, what sort of challenges, Anthony? Can it, it can be from either this particular novel or any particular standout in your kind of long story career with writing? Have you yourself that really stand out to you as a somewhat of a turning point? I don't want to use it, but I'm going to watershed moment in the writing life of Anthony, where you were faced with this and you look back in hindsight now and you think, man, if I let that 
if I succumb to that, if I let that kind of prevail and I, you know, I didn't prevail, then I wouldn't be here where I am talking to Sam yes. about this, this, this craft that I'm keeping okay. away with. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, I think a lot of creative people have, um, they have an insecure side mm. um, and I've definitely got big insecurities. So I think the self wrestling with the self doubt is definitely one of the biggest challenges for me. Mm. Um, and for a lot of people, I imagine. So, you know, you kind of have that battle in your head, you know, you can, you know, you starts to talk to you going, Oh, this is crap. And it's not, you know, it's not going to work or I can't write today. I'm not feeling, you know, I'm mm. not feeling in the right to sit down. And so often for me, sometimes the biggest challenge is just to actually sit down, mm. you know, like get the book and put it in my lap and get a pen. I mean, I can, I can beat myself up over the head. Oh, I'm not feeling it. I don't know where, I don't know where this story's going. And sort of this um, mental wrestling before I even sit down on the couch to write. So that's and then I'm, I'm finding that at the moment. Actually, I've started another book and um, I'm having I'm having a lot of I'm having a lot of that. So it's about discipline. It's about you know okay today or for, you know six days this week or whatever. I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to stay there until something happens. And if it doesn't happen, I'll give myself an hour and then I'm going to get up and just leave it. Mm. But, you know, majority of the time, something will come. It's just getting to that first step, you know. Man, I'm with like you. you got, you got to push through it. It's the, the self-doubt is, yeah, the way I liken it too is just the the, it's just this, the demon. You know, the the old Looney Tunes cartoons where there's the, there's the, there's the <laughs> angel on one side and the demon yeah. on another. You don't have an angel telling you it's good. You just got a demon or possibly even two fucking demons just sitting on either shoulder telling you it's crap it's crap it's crap you suck give up and especially if you're um as i know that you're very well read um as well you know if you're reading um men booker winners and and all this sort of stuff nightly you know um and true masters of the craft then it's real hard to um sometimes because you're just like when there's people out there like that you're just like why do i bother like in the most negative aspect i mean like obviously you you keep doing it and it's great that there's these amazing writers out there but at the same time it can be particularly if you're in a dark place of it all it can just be this like final kick in the the groin type sitch yeah yeah exactly yeah and i look sometimes um i just can't read new books sometimes i just go i just can't read it because it'll just make me feel crap about myself Mm. so um you know, I might be. I, I kind of read about six books at once, and I just pick up whatever book I'm feeling like at the moment. Mm. Now, sorry, in the moment. Um, so, like, I, I might read a lot of classics. I don't actually read a lot of new fiction. Mm. I got to say, um, because yeah, you can get it can get you down, and and sometimes what you're reading isn't even that good. Mm. And you go, well, how come you know how come I'm kind of struggling along, and these guys are getting uh, Booker prizes and stuff. Mm. So uh, it's just all the negativity, all the shit that's in your head that you have to you have to try and overcome just before you even begin, you know? And as you said, yeah, they're definitely the, the little, was it the little blue and red demons? The on demons, the, the devil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's definitely the case. Yeah. You've got to try and, I mean, that's kind of there constantly until you actually start writing. And once you kind of sit down and start writing and you just get a flow on, you kind of just disappear. It's true. And you disappear into the work and, and before you know it, you're like a couple of hours have gone by. It's like, oh shit, I've just, you know, I've just written whatever a thousand words or whatever it is. And you go, that was good, you know? Um, so it's just overcoming. It's just overcoming that, all that self doubt and um, mm. negativity and, and 
and just ride. I mean, you just got to ride. I've heard that before. I've heard other riders say it too, that, you know, even just write a shopping list or something just, mm. just to get riding. Uh, and even if it's shit, don't, don't stop. Yeah. Uh, just, just, I, sometimes I've even put in brackets or choose another word here or fix up this paragraph later or something like that. A little note to myself further down the track. Um, and that's, that's good to do that because it's not going to be word perfect. And if you're trying to make it no, word perfect immediately, not. which I do, which I do sometimes, mm. Um, that's like Hemingway type things like agonizing over a sentence for a day and stuff like that yeah yeah, no not even that so I just think well it doesn't have to be perfect you know I mean but having said that I do think having a really good first draft is really important Um, oh really because I've yeah for me I think having that really good because then you've got less to work with later on I mean actually you mentioned earlier um, something that you regretted later on or something you wrestle with another i once did one of those nano rhymos months yep. you know the, yeah yeah the novel yeah i once did one of those as it's sort of a challenge i think you write a novel in a month yeah and and i did it but then it was shit because i'd rushed it yeah you know i'd rushed it and um and <laughs> i did rewrite it but it, it took me like two years to rewrite it or a year or something yeah, it's um, a double-edged sword. It took a long time. So it wasn't worth it, you know? It wasn't worth pumping that novel out in a month um, just to get the word count out because the amount of work you have to do later. And then it's like it's like songwriters say it too about creating a song. You know, the song just came out, you know? It was just, yeah. You know, I wrote this fantastic song that I've been known for 40 years for. I wrote it in five minutes. Yeah. And then your other times when you're agonizing and spending hours and hours over something and it's just not working, well, then, then it's no good. So I think having that first draft, that's good. If it's good to begin with, then you're going to end up with a good novel. I think if you've got to rewrite the damn thing 10 times, then it's probably a sign that it's not quite working well enough. Yeah, wow. The, um, my novel at the moment, I uh, wrote the first draft. It was about 100,000 words and I was nearly finished it. And I went to do this wow. six-month course this, this year and got feedback about the outline from my classmates who really really helped me but um i just left that and thought fuck it's shit and i've been i've i binned it i binned it so it was a hundred hundred it and then uh started with the basic premise again and now i'm like editing it down from wow. one hundred fifty thousand words to you know editing it that's to, that's to that's discipline that's that must have been tough to have to been a hundred thousand words it like was that. but it's kind of like case in point it kind of just further validates what you just said there i mean like me it's just, it's just about you know pumping it out uh get, getting it all down on paper but i can understand what you said and i can totally like nanorimo is an interesting one because I, I do think that it does really really provide this great community i do think it can really help yeah. people to pull their finger out and, yes you know make yes. them go no i need to you know like what you kind of harken back to what you said about um for finding excuses to not sit down yeah so i think yes, that it's, it's yeah. good for that but i think at the same time it can actually be um depending upon case, and it's obviously it's subjective it's case by case basis but i think it yes. can be absolutely detrimental and devastating to certain people because they go well i just can't keep up with this this word limit i've got to do every day man two thousand words five thousand words like i just i just cannot commit to that and then it's just yes. equally as devastating because then you know they feel like they they haven't achieved anything that they've set out to do but it doesn't it's different strokes for different folks in terms of you know how you how you go about doing it so some people will agonize over a sentence for a day for a bear type shit and then other people will churn out five thousand words in a day and then go 
like kind of me and I'll go, oh, that's crap. But, you know, I'll come back and I'll chomp it over the course of the next two years or whatever. It's just, it's, you know, it's, there's no right way for, for it. No, no. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's good, there's good and bad in everything, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's kind of like a race really, isn't it? You've got to get mm. that word count every day. And it is a lot of, it is a lot of pressure, but yeah, it's good for people who are probably maybe first starting out mm. and they've never really made the commitment or, because it is a lot of discipline. There's a lot of, it's a hard work. It's a lot it of the is. time, you know, and maybe that's good for those people or who are just starting or they've always wanted to write a novel, but they didn't have the, the push that they needed. Um, but for me, I just found that it, it just, it, it didn't work out, it didn't work out for me. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, Anthony, let's end on another question I always like to ask. And you kind of touched on it a little bit there, but what advice do you give to any listener, be they an aspiring author or a prolific author, anyone who wants to put pen to paper in rapid succession, what advice would you give that person about writing? Uh, well, maybe we'd probably depend on whether it was a new writer or I probably wouldn't have any advice for prolific writers because they can already write. So they maybe might be giving me advice, you know. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, look, you know, I've been, I sort of write, I've been writing since I was a kid. So, I mean, it, it, it it's got to be a part of you in some way, I think. Mm. I mean, you've got to, you know, I mean, you often hear people as a middle age or they're retired. Oh, I've always wanted to write a book. Well, if you really wanted to write a book, you would have written it, you know? Mm. So I just think, um, you probably already know in, in your heart whether you're going to be a writer or you're actually going to do it. But, um, yeah, don't beat yourself up too much if you can, and you're going to have a lot of self-doubt and just try and ignore it. And um, it is discipline, you know. Like I just say, you have a routine. I say, okay, well, this two-hour slot, I'm going to dedicate to this writing. And whether if I, I'm just going to sit there until something happens. And if it doesn't happen, well, it doesn't happen. But you know, nine times out of ten, it will happen. Mm. Um, so, and and another thing I would say is, you you've got to write for yourself, you know. Absolutely. Don't write thinking you're going to be some famous author because more than likely it's not going to happen. Mm. Um, you, you have to be happy with it. You know, it's no use trying to write for a particular audience. You know, I've encountered people over the years. Oh, I'm going to write a vampire story. I'm going to write a zombie story. It's like, why would you want to write that shit? I mean, mm. there's a hundred thousand people writing that crap. So, write for yourself. Write what makes that you're going to be proud of. Because at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you have to pick up that book or that story or whatever it is and go. You know what? I'm, I'm glad I wrote that. I'm, I'm proud of that or I'm happy with that book or that story. So, um, yeah, don't worry about the audience. Just please please yourself and um, and the right people will read it if, if that's what it gets to. Very well put, Anthony. Thank you so much for appearing on The Right Way and talking to me today. Man. Oh, absolute pleasure, mate. And thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Anytime. So guys, that was Anthony talking to me about his new latest novel, Lone Wolf World. I'm going to be including his website details where you can purchase Lone Wolf World and all of his other books and writings uh, in the description for this episode. I want to say thank you again so much for listening to this episode. And I'm going to presume all the episodes so far. Uh, I can assure you that 2021 is looking bright for the future of The Right Way. Got a lot of guests coming up. I'm looking, getting, starting to get pretty fully booked up until March. So danke to you for listening so far. Please continue to listen next year. And again, thank you so much. I hope all of you have a lovely 2020, what remains of it, and a good Christmas New Year's period. Thank you again and stay tuned for 2021's slate of guests to appear.